and on scholarship probation in June. There was much talk of the war in Europe and of joining the army, but Bukowski upset his fellow students by speaking up for Hitler and Nazism. He wrote to newspapers expressing his extreme views, making his parents fear for their safety because he was still living at home, and he attended meetings of a neo-Nazi group. He later excused his behaviour, saying he simply enjoyed being controversial. In What Will the Neighbours Think, he wrote, I wasn't aligned with any group or ideology. Actually, the whole idea of life and people repulsed me. But it was easier to scrounge drinks off the right-wingers than off old women in the bars. Bukowski was basically apolitical throughout his life, but he also enjoyed doing and saying outrageous things to shock and draw attention to himself, and was attracted to extreme characters. He saw that Hitler was like fire, says Franz I, a girlfriend of his adult life who remembers Bukowski talking about Hitler as an adult. It was that fire that attracted him. On another level, he had heard his mother saying what a great man Hitler was, and some of it sunk in. Kate Bukowski openly admired Hitler, calling him a champion of all us working class, a leader whom she believed had made life better for ordinary German people like her parents. Having failed to hold a job and now fast becoming a failed student, there was increasing tension at home. When his father discovered he had been writing stories on the typewriter they bought to help with his college work, Henry tossed the manuscripts, the typewriter and his son's clothes out onto the lawn. Bukowski took $10 from his mother and caught a bus downtown, where he rented a room on Temple Street before moving to a plywood shack on Bunker Hill. He dropped out of college soon afterwards, in June 1941, and after working manual jobs for six months in the Southern Pacific Railroad yards and at the Borg Warner factory on South Flower Street, he set out to explore America so he could write about the real world of rooming houses, factory jobs and bars like John Fonte. He caught a bus to New Orleans and worked in a warehouse there, saving his money until he had enough to quit the job and pay his rent in advance so he could stay in his room all day and write. When he ran short of money, he tried to live on candy bars to postpone getting another eight-hour job of nothingness. The only friend he made in New Orleans was a near-senile old man, and the only place he went was a depressing bar near Canal Street, the saddest bar I was ever in, as he wrote in his poem, Drink. In Atlanta, Georgia, he lived in a tar paper shack lit by a single bulb. He was still trying to write, but the stories kept coming back from the New York magazines, and he allowed himself to starve rather than get a regular job, believing that writing would save him, like the deluded hero of Knut Hampson's Hunger another favourite novel. Atlanta was the nadir of Bukowski's time on the road, almost the end of him. Sick with hunger, he wrote to his father asking for money, and, 
after getting a long letter of admonishment by reply, he considered committing suicide by touching a live electric wire. Then he noticed the blank margins on his newspaper and began writing in them. Looking at his life in retrospect, he said this was the moment that proved he was a writer. Although nobody would ever read what he had written, he felt compelled to scribble something. He travelled west through Texas as part of a railroad gang. In the El Paso Public Library, he read Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground, one of the dozen or so novels that made a lasting impression. He empathised with the wretched narrator who considers himself to be hideous and yet yearns to be loved, and the descriptions of Tsarist St. Petersburg with its social elite reminded him of L.A. High. By the spring of 1942, he was in San Francisco, driving a truck for the Red Cross. It was the most...